<laughs> I respect your body's needs to fart incredibly loudly, but also please respect my decision to find that very funny. <laughs> That's why it's been difficult for you. It's because we haven't done yoga for the last two days together. I love that we've managed. We're like, let's do yoga every day. We did three days. Now we're not doing it. Also, we were doing morning yoga together at one o'clock in the afternoon. Let's get. But I feel like, you know, it's the weekend. Also, I was very hungover on Friday for sadness reasons. So, you know, I think like it's going to be a work day thing. So we're going to have to do it on work days. So we do yoga. We perv on each other a lot. That That is the real thing that motivates mm-hmm. me. It's the perving on each other, the yoga outfits. Seeing you in your yoga top at one o'clock in the afternoon is the highlight of my day. Yeah. That's in the affirmations. I can handle anything that comes my way. I am in love with life. I am a god queen consisting of the screams of fear of my enemies and the worshipful cries of my followers. I am a being like the oogie boogie man who is just leather stretched (laughs) over a writhing mass of insects and worms. And I love myself. I am beautiful. (laughs) Body positivity. (laughs) Everybody is a good body. I'm very flexible because I'm composed only of darkness. <laughs> I think that yoga is working for us. Listen to us. Shit. We're practically wellness influencers at this stage. Okay, new project. We don't have seven already. We need more. We're going to start a yoga <laughs> video. and We're going to do... But I, we've got a YouTube channel. It's got precisely two things on there. We're going to start putting <laughs> yoga videos of us on there. And also, we're both shit at yoga. And so it's not some like thin, glorious, dancely woman who's like, and now I'm going to become incorporeal and float away for a moment. We're just going to be like, now you're going to watch me struggle, as you probably are, to reach my own fucking toes. Let's go. And we're just going to like, <laughs> and that's going to be our YouTube channel. <laughs> Doing downward dog going, are your shoulders too f- supposed to fucking click like that? I don't fucking know fuck what. Beats me. <laughs> but I'm doing it anyway. This pose is called, I don't even know, it's the one where you know your leg is here, but I can't even do that because my leg doesn't bend that way. So here we go. Let's get into this weird pose. <laughs> is this a pose? No, it's the fetal position. I spend 23 hours a day in it, so we yeah. might as well do it now. Roll over. Try not to cry. Cry a lot. <laughs> that's, that's the day. <laughs> That is it. Then we get into corpse pose for 20 minutes, then child's pose for 20 minutes. Then we get up and do one, one jumping jack. And then we lie down again. You lie down face down on the floor and you cry some more. Corpse pose is aspirational because I wish I was dead. I wish I was fucking dead. The affirmation is I wish I was fucking dead. This is Everything is awful yoga. I thought that the more I say this, the more I kind of actually want to do this. Uh, this oh, is everything's man. awful forever. Jess and I are great at yoga, it turns out. <laughs> I'm Jessica Byrne. My favorite yoga pose is I am... I, I don't even know. I'm too sad to think of it. That's the name. That's the pose. <laughs> 
I'm Philippa Evans, and yes, I am supposed to bend this way. Fuck you. <laughs> no judgments in our safe yoga space. Oh yeah, we're all grunting, and we all look terrible, and we all just are red-faced, and our leg, it doesn't go that way, but we try our fucking best, damn it. This is the queef room, queefing forever. There's so much queefing, no one talks about, can we talk about, for a second, how much <laughs> queefing there is in yoga? Can we please just talk about the queefing? <laughs> I'm sorry that my vagina sneezes. <laughs> my vagina sneezes. Air goes in when the legs the legs go in stupid ways and the air goes in and it has no other way but to come back out again in a sort of like a sort of sigh. I do love it. I think I'm only motivated by the fact that I get to perv on you as you yeah, as we're stretching and grunting at each other sweatily. <laughs> <laughs> through fucking video chat because it's still the end goddamn times we do what we can we do what we can last episode a million years ago apparently because time is weird in 2020 i looked at a few popular methods of public execution primarily in england and this was mostly because i got distracted while researching the figure of the hangman or executioner i'm kind like that dog in the movie Up, except with human atrocity instead of squirrels. Yay, Doug. Why, yes, the weather is lovely to cannibalism, <laughs> which I'm sure all my friends can attest to. I'm sorry, friends. This is why we had to do a podcast because people at work were sick of like they were like, "Hey, have you um, that's really nice." I was going on holiday the other day, and I was like, "Did you know that if you go on holiday, you fucking die because I turned into a cloud of bats?" And and they're like, "Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay." I'd be sitting next to Susan, and I'd be like, "Did you know that Victorian panties were crushes? Why is there now a sexual harassment suit against?" Me? So the figure of the hangman is complex, even if you're looking at a single snapshot of one person in a particular time and space. It goes without saying that there are cultural variations in how public executioners were perceived, and that even in a single community, the representations even of hangmen were dynamic, like they changed so much over time, because hangmen weren't just real-life people. They were symbols of an mm, institution yeah. that different institutions like the government and the church used to exert their sinister influences. Yeah, I mean, so many times, like, the death penalty has been used as, like, a deterrent, so the person doing that would be quite frightening. Very much a figure of all of that. Yeah. It got to the point where the figure of the hangman could be used to comment negatively on certain fashion trends. Oh, what? <laughs> trackies with poppers is it the 90s hangman <laughs> killed them hangman would be portrayed wearing aprons that solely women wore that hangman never wore but apparently people didn't like aprons now because people didn't like women oh well that's not changed hangman were a fascinating public figure and were so much more than the grim hooded figure with a big axe presented to us by 19th century penny dreadful writers and modern day comic book authors. <laughs> I assume that's what you think of when you think of Hangman, like big axe, the hood that covers the whole face with just the eye holes, the rope belt around the waist. Oh yeah. I Like you kind of picture them like as I'm picturing a Hangman, I'm thinking of someone who's kind of like barrel chested, like they've got a big 
gut, but they're not fat. They're just like that kind of like strong man type who's got like a hood with mm-hmm. the eye holes. They've got like a bare chest for some reason to like, I don't know, flex. They're a little bit hairy also. And they've got like the giant axe. Yeah, that's the hangman. Basically hot is yeah, what we're saying. Yeah, hot is what I'm saying. I'm saying it's my fetish. Leave me alone. <laughs> what I'm going to try and do in this episode is look at how these public figures fit into late medieval society, primarily in France and Burgundy, because those are places oh. that I care about and it's oh. it's where I could find most of my info. France, though. And what even is Burgundy? Is that a color? I don't know. But what I'm going to say does really apply to most of Western Europe, like Germany, Scandinavia, Italy, with mild variations in it. And when I say the late medieval period, I mean the 14th and 15th centuries, so the 13 and 1400s. Mm-hmm. I always kind of have to say that to myself as I work it out. It's been, I've been studying history for like 14 years now, and I still have to go, uh, okay, minus the one. Okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So in a later episode, I might look at the life of a particular hangman, Franz Schmidt, who was a Nuremberg executioner from the 16th century. But I say might because I'm still trying to work out just exactly how I'd fit it all into a single episode. (laughs) Oh, shit, I know. But sometimes there's just so many things you need to talk about. Blackbeard and Steed Bonnet and how many people they fuck. And it's fine. I can cry over my editing at a different date. You know, immediate gratification over later editing suffering. It's fine. That's right. So you might notice that I've been using the term hangman and public executioner interchangeably unless you were too busy thinking of our yoga scheme which you know i forgive you or the sexy description of the hangman that i just said you're fantasizing right now i can tell (laughs) death by hanging in the late medieval period in france and burgundy accounted for most executions about 70 percent overall which is i guess why the term hangman is somewhat synonymous with executioner Mm. because that was what they did most of the time but a hangman's job wasn't that simple you didn't work in the hanging department of execution inc occasionally talking to greg from the boiling alive branch over at the water cooler and going (laughs) why is that bubbling greg is that water hot is there someone in that water cooler right now i'll never tell fucking greg A hangman in the late Middle Ages had to be able to carry out a wide variety of duties, including decapitation, burning at the stake, burying alive, boiling in a cauldron, drowning, or breaking the convict over a wheel, which is an impressive skill set if you think about it. That's kind of multi-talented. It's quite a lot to fit on a CV is all I'm saying. How can us millennials compete? Oh, God, we can't. Let's just go become mudlockers. (laughs) A hangman would also be involved in corporal punishments, such as flogging, burning, mutilation, and amputation, as well as torturing suspected criminals for information. Because executioner means to execute the sentence, and the sentence doesn't need to be death. It just needs to be whatever was I don't know what, decreed? (laughs) Whatever judges do. Whatever the king or something demanded. (laughs) Rangoon! Rangoon and kill that man! (laughs) It wasn't just hangmen who enforced the corporal punishments and torture, but it was a part of their job, because their job was mostly all the things that decent people didn't want to do. But I'll get on to that. All of these execution methods might seem a little bit extra, Why did these societies have so many forms of execution and punishment? Mm. Hanging's pretty humane. It's comparatively painless if it's done right. Flogging, very painful corporal punishment. Educational. Don't do the bad thing again, Greg. All right, I won't. I'll put the chicken back. Are you doing it again? No. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I am. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
Like, why do we need to go all out by piercing people's tongues or cutting off their noses? Body modification. It's not going to be popular for a while. And even at the age of 32 in 2020, my mother still won't let me get a tongue ring. Why do we need that? So to some extent, this was because people's ages and genders had some effect on the mode of execution. The very young and the very old were punished less severely, and women for the most part weren't mutilated. Some people argue that this was out of respect to the fairer sex. Others suggest that it was because women's bodies, man, they're weird. They're already weird, yeah. You don't want to mess with that nasty shit. Like, cut off this wobbly bit and who knows what the fuck will happen. Flock of crows? Fucking locusts? bleeding already. I mean, what is this? That woman's in upward dog position. And what <laughs> the fuck is that? Oh, they just went... <sighs> from between their legs what the fuck is this that was not an asshole noise i'm a man i should know (laughs) (laughs) that was not an asshole noise i repeat that was not an asshole noise not a fart this is not a drill (laughs) oh everything's awful forever fart jokes fart jokes (laughs) boobies and flange farts So that's just one reason, like differences of age and differences of gender. But as I mentioned in the last episode, the difference in the forms of execution was primarily because people didn't have Netflix. And different forms of execution (laughs) is the difference between watching Hannibal and The Good Place. Sometimes I want cooking people alive. Yeah. Other times I want humorous meditations on the nature of good and evil. Right now, I'm watching Glee. I don't know why. (laughs) is what you give to your friends. Yeah, let's get regionals. (laughs) (laughs) So, no, it it wasn't the lack of Netflix. It was mostly due to the popular belief that the punishments should fit the crime. So, summon a demon? Well, burning at the stake is a good introduction to the fires of hell that await you. Okay, makes sense. Poison your neighbor? Into the boiling cauldron you go. Mm, Okay. And it wasn't just because people had a highly developed form of irony and wanted to snigger at the poetic justice all of it all going, look, she's in a frying pan now. That will teach you to burn the toast, Mildred. (laughs) Nice idea of execution, Henry VIII. Yes, it is, isn't it? Yes, bring me more sausages. I have a sophisticated sense of humor. (laughs) Execution was a highly symbolic ritual that restored cosmic harmony and relations of power, which the original crime had disturbed. Oh, fuck. I know it sounds fancier when you put it like that. That's way more. I thought it was just like, (laughs) oh, they're a criminal, fuck them. Like we kind of do now. Be like, oh, put them in prison. We never want to see them again. It was a public ceremony that could last for hours. I'm sure the victims enjoyed that. And it was very complex. So people traveled for miles and miles to witness certain execution, not just for fun, as Charles Dickens insisted hundreds of years later, (laughs) but because it was a vital part of their lives. Because, I don't know, the force had been disturbed? What's a Star Wars thing? I don't know. That's very good, Philippa. Thank you, Jess. Modern somethings. I'm drunk. (laughs) From the 70s. (laughs) Look, I'm catching up. Don't. It's it's not good. And all this goes to imply that the hangman was a vital part of society. Like, you could almost say that they were the high priest overseeing this ritualized execution. Mm. They enforced the law, and they restored order. And yet, despite their importance, despite the fact that public execution was demanded, and violent punishment was sanctioned by the church and the states, hangmen were incredibly unpopular. 
in the high school of medieval society, public executioners were the smelly kid. Greg knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, you didn't have a young Franz Schmidt growing up dreaming about being a hangman and saving up for execution school and studying decapitation really hard because he wanted to have his dream one day. And then, you know, he got a great degree in execution and had to work in customer service. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> Did you want to become an executioner? I don't know how things work where you, <laughs> wherever you're from, which is, I can't think of, I've run out of countries. I only know like five, so I've run out. But <laughs> is that what you wanted for wherever you're from? Yes, I had dreams as a child and I thought that the closest I could come was, you know, studying sacrificial ritual. Yeah. But it turns out it was just the theory. It's fine. We do our best. I am able to handle anything that comes my way. Certainly the upper middle classes didn't want to get involved in something so lowly. How do you even get blood out of silk? It's real hard. Important people make the rules, unimportant people enforce them. I tell you what you're doing is wrong, and Marcus here chops your fingers off. That's kind of how it works. Yeah, that makes sense. And the clergy wasn't going to do the hangman and stuff. Violence was unchristian. And they're busy. They're busy. You don't want to be violent unless there's a crusade going on. Or an inquisition. Yeah. Or we need to drown a witch. Or yeah. burn a heretic. Yeah. But that's beside the point. We're busy, busy though. Sazzle copter. Despite the fact that the church sanctioned violence and believed that in the right hands it could be used to restore good and order, they weren't going to get their own hands dirty. Of course, the executioner had to be a Christian. No Jews or infidels, thank you. But mm -hmm. not a clergyman. Twas verboten. So the office of the executioner was, from the beginning, necessarily tied to the lower classes. Not that they wanted to do it either. Bless you, whoever's walking outside. <laughs> Did someone just fucking sneeze? I heard that. Oh shit, they could be listening to the podcast. Only half of it, though. Fuck. Are those hands pressed against the windows? Is that, a, is that someone with a cup on their ear? Get out of here. Sign up to our Patreon. Get the Patreon for the early release. Jesus. So the problem is often solved by forcing butchers to do the job and flogging them if they refused. Butchery was another infamous low-caste profession that handles a lot of flesh, so they're practically trained for it. <laughs> Otherwise, convicts could be used as executioners, and it was common enough to offer a pardon if they took on the profession permanently. Hmm. Not that the profession of public executioner became any more respected as a result of this. Ex-criminals enforcing social and divine law was a bit on the nose. <laughs> of course, once someone in your family became an executioner, that forced you into the profession as well, because you're tainted now. No one will hire you now that your dad is boiling people in cauldrons. So... Execution often ran in the family for generations, and sometimes for centuries, and sometimes for six centuries. Whoa, that's, that, whoa, hey, that's older than America. The oldest dynasty in France is that of the, sorry, France, Jouen family, which served as executioners in the 1200s and was still playing the trade in the 1800s. Wow, holy shit. It wasn't only that no one wanted to be a hangman. 
those who were were shunned by society and often abused verbally or physically. Such a strong taboo surrounded them that usually only other executioners or the family thereof would marry executioners' daughters. Hmm. They weren't even allowed to marry in the church a lot of the time, but had to have the ceremony in their own homes. This is horrible. Like, it's, uh, it's just such the battle cry of a society. Be like, we need this job. Do it. Ugh, I can't believe you did that. Ugh, why did you do it? <laughs> Fucking gross. But people stocking the shelves at the supermarket during the COVID crisis are the real heroes unless my name is Karen and I need to speak to your manager. <laughs> After having a drink at the local tavern, the executioner's wine glass would often be smashed when he left because no one would want to drink from it ever again afterwards. Oh my god. And merchants would complain that if a hangman touched something and didn't buy it, no one else would either because it was now contaminated. Executioners couldn't choose where they lived, and they'd often be relegated to poorer areas or the edge of town, literally marginalized in terms of where they could hang up their hat and axe at the end of the day. Huh. And in Chronicles, while executions would be described in detail, down to the fabulous robe that so-and-so wore when his head was chopped off, hangmen were very seldom mentioned at all unless they botched the job or something else significant took place. There were some benefits to being a hangman. Lodging was usually free, although the house would be shit. They were often exempt from taxes, and there was the perk called havage, which I think I think that's how it's pronounced. We'll say it with confidence. Which allowed them to take a portion of food and drink from merchants for free. But this didn't really make up for the social stigma of the profession. Mm. Here's another name I'm going to say incorrectly. Hanley Clemetal McHale, in Epitomies of Evil, refers to this as the paradox of the hangman, that it was a necessary vital position treated with contempt and loathing. And mm, Epitomies yeah. of Evil, by the way, was just one of the most interesting books I've ever read. Like, she goes oh. into such incredible detail, and it's mostly about representations of hangmen, but it's very well researched. So if you want mm. lots of footnotes and good discussions, I recommend that. One of the main explanations for the unpopularity of hangmen might be the fact that inflicting pain and suffering was such an important part of the executioner's role. This might seem obvious to us. I mean, in the modern world, we go to significant lengths to avoid pain. I whacked my elbow on a countertop last week, and I still remember the pain with great horror and regret. <laughs> modern society has its failings. Often the violence carried out in prisons is overlooked because prisoners aren't people, apparently. Mm -hmm. And there's a disturbing trend in the medical profession of thinking that black people are less sensitive to pain than white people. <laughs> I just can't believe that still fucking goes on. Many doctors believe that black people literally have thicker skins. Okay. And it's fine. It's, <laughs> it's not fine. Whereas redheads actually do apparently feel pain differently and require up to 20% more anesthesia to be sedated. And I'm still a fucking drama queen if you poke me with a needle. Oh, all right. You just want to be special. Even you're already like a dying breed with your recessive genes and you just feel like you need a little bit more attention. Is that it? We don't feel pain because we aren't really human. Yeah, the soul, I see. Yeah. But few of us modern folk want to experience pain in our personal lives. And I think that not many people would argue that anyone should be subjected to physical pain. Although on a vindictive gut level, we may think it's just. But when we look back in time, especially towards the medieval period, our view warps a little. Like, I'm, I'm definitely guilty of this myself. You read about the medieval period and you're like, people's lives back then were nasty, brutish and short. Mm -hmm. Like, 
Yeah, seems so. Pain was basically a part of their lives. You just couldn't escape it. You had illness, violence, systemic oppression, rats, exposure to the elements, the pain of childbirth, basically no ibuprofen. How do people even have their periods without that necessary sanity-saving drug is what I'm asking. Into rags and then we're shunned and killed, yeah. <laughs> Like, we seem to think of medieval people as these coarse, hardened stumps of wood who are so exposed <laughs> to suffering that they're basically immune to it. Yeah. Like, just peasants toiling in the field, being whipped, going, okay. <sighs> All right. Yeah, they're just, like, calloused, and they've only got one tooth, and it's like, that's my fighting tooth. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're, they're best friends of pigs, I don't know. Why aren't you wearing shoes, medieval Greg? Well, it's just the callus basically is my shoes. (laughs) Oh, what amazing trousers you got. They're leeches! Mildred, are you wearing trousers made entirely of leeches again? (laughs) Yes! It makes me tingle. (laughs) I mean, there's some justification for this mistake if we look at how medieval people approached the concept of pain, violence, and death. Firstly, it it really was a part of their daily lives. I mean, excessive alcohol consumption, the lack of an organized police force, fewer rights for women and children, poor medical care. All of this meant the daily life was violence and suffering. Sorry, I thought you were just describing modern day America, but um, it's okay. <laughs> Your choice if you keep that in, Pip. <laughs> Do things really change over time? I'm no, not sure. they fucking don't. I'm wearing trousers made of leeches, Philippa. So the impact that religion had on the perception of pain was quite significant. It was widely understood to be a divine punishment for wrongdoing. Hmm. Similarly, pain had a purging effect. If you endured your divinely allotted pain with patience, your soul was cleansed of the taint of sin, which is what I tell myself when I'm on my period. That's right. Given by God. <laughs> pain is just weakness leaving the body. <laughs> Which meant that by inflicting pain on convicts, you're really doing them a service, so giving them a better chance of going to heaven. The belief in an afterlife would also have an impact on a medieval society's perception of death and suffering. Whatever you do now, eternal life awaits, so Mm. does it really matter? Mm. And even if a convict really was innocent, well, good for them, they get to go to heaven all the sooner, rather than having to endure the pain of being happily married to fucking Mildred. (laughs) Wait, are Greg, are Greg and Mildred married? I think they are. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. We were sh- shipping. Shipping needs to happen. I've been shipping this all along. I it's been canon in my head. Fuck. I see. Damn. I've just been too busy thinking about Henry and Blackbeard. Convicts have it easy. They know when they're going to die, so they have the luxury of confessing their sins and readying their souls for the Lord. Hmm. Whereas poor old Maud had a fucking heart attack in the cabbage field, and God only knows where her soul is right now. Oh, it's in the cabbage, I think. In hell. Maud is in hell. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Oh, Maud. (laughs) But just as Republican senators talk big about the value of all lives, spitting on the BLM movements and defunding Planned Parenthood clinics because apparently only some lives matter, big talk can mask and compensate for hidden fears. Also, I'm sorry, medieval people, for comparing you to the GOP. That was wrong of me. Hmm. Late medieval society was obsessed with pain because they feared pain. They feared pain in this world, and they feared the pain of hellfire in the next. And basically all they talked about was pain because they didn't want pain to happen to them, and pain was imminent. Mm. So they didn't necessarily watch Margaret screaming as the flames blackened her skin and her eyeballs melted down her cheeks and think, Good, Margaret, you bitch. 
<laughs> they often felt horror, pity, disgust, and anxiety when they saw pain being inflicted on someone, which would have contributed to their feelings of ambivalence towards the hangman because he's enacting the law, but he's also causing pain to other people. This ambivalence shows on a judicial level as well. Medieval governments gave up pardons whenever possible, and lesser punishments such as banishments and fines. And as more humane forms of execution became available, such as hangings, they used it whenever they could. They didn't just sit there, like, rubbing their hands, going, <laughs> what exotic punishment can I think of next? <laughs> judicial violence was necessary sometimes to restore cosmic and social order. <laughs> Especially because poor law enforcement meant that most criminals didn't get caught. So you need to make a fucking example of them when they did. Mm. So might, to the medieval mind, did sometimes make right. But violence itself comes from Satan and his rebellion against God. Violence isn't inherently good. But doesn't Satan come from God and therefore violence and evil? Shut up, Mildred. This is why only men can be priests. <laughs> I think that although it's easy to recognize the pain that older cultures experienced, it's also easy to dehumanize them and underestimate the horror that they felt when contemplating pain. Do you know what other horrors are easy to underestimate? I feel like I can guess. The horrors of the workhouse. <laughs> yo, yo. Let's do that right now as we reduce one of the major violations of human rights into a means of joking about our own labors, shall we? Let's do! Oh. But before we look upon our works in despair, I think that we have some time to grind the rumor mill. Oh, tell me more. When I say the name Anastasia, Jess, yes. do any famous historical personages come to mind? Yes, and I think she was friends with a white bat. <laughs> well, you're wrong. Oh. Because history's most awesome Anastasia has been wiped from the history books because it's too good to be real. Okay. But delirium and alcohol have revealed the truth to me, which I'm imparting to you now. Oh, I'm so excited. Originally sequestered in a nunnery for her own good, Anastasia is renowned for having started the first religious fight club. <laughs> or would have been renowned. I mean, the first rule of fight club and all that. <laughs> God's Fisters, as the sisterhood was called. Ah, <laughs> fuck you. Soon realized that they were just too good at clotheslining sinners to remain locked away in their mountainous convent. And so they determined to take their holy order to the road. Or would have, if they hadn't caught the misogynist eye of Matthew Hopkins, the witchfinder General. Generale. But what happened afterwards is shrouded in mystery. Were they burned as witches? Did their holy order escape, eventually achieving its true destiny as a roller derby team? <laughs> I guess we'll never know. Never know. So thank you, Anastasia, for your support. Signing up to our Patreon makes a huge difference to Jess and me. It helps us to buy the equipment that we sorely need, cover our hosting costs, get research material, mm. buy beer, beer that's and important. ultimately yeah. deliver more content too. Yes. Speaking of which, our website should be live by the time this episode goes up. <laughs> so take a look at 
it's awfulforever.com unless lightning strikes me for mentioning it because Do things you happen. remember in like episode 5 where we were like, the F website's gonna be up in a week? Well, what we meant was that it was gonna be up in a week and a year's time, which is now. <laughs> so it's awfulforever.com. Jess and I are poor and sometimes we need to do poor people things like work and that can interfere with our endeavors. <laughs> but fingers crossed, awfulforever.com. You can listen to our episodes there, read the extra content that we'll put up on a semi-regular basis yeah. and find out about the grim fates that befall our brave Patreon supporters. Well, Jess, the orphans must have overheard us because they've started their own fight club. Ah, oh, shit. It looks like we may be Jack's bloody revolution any second now. Not again. So let's get away and look at some other unpopular individuals. Factory owners get such a bad rap. There's also the fact that Hangman, while enacting judicial violence, were doing so against people who couldn't protect themselves, and they were doing it for money, all of which was considered to be shameful. So they're kind of like the opposite of the White Knight, who defends the clergy and rescues maidens from towers, but also, you know, kind of could rape people sometimes because the chivalry code is darker than you think. Yeah, it really is. I want to do an episode on that, actually. I feel like maybe even medieval people didn't understand <laughs> <No>. the chivalry code. <laughs> Because they're like, the hangman is not like a knight. And I'm like, fucking good. So we've talked about public execution a little, like in the entire episode I did for it. And our episodes on the witch trials in the 17th century, the execution of murderers in the 18th and 19th. And all accounts seem to describe public execution as if it were a bit of a festival. Coachella. That's fun. That's nice. (laughs) And it's certainly true that crowds can get caught up in mass hysteria and the sensationalized reporting of executions, but in the late medieval period, people were encouraged to feel compassion for those being executed. Feeling smug satisfaction was not going to earn you Jesus points. And where jubilant crowds are described, it's often important to remember that the chroniclers were writing for the upper classes, describing the brutish behavior of the lower realms Mm. for the enjoyments of their patrons. Ah, yes, how the crowd howled like dogs baying for blood. Not like us, oh no, whose nerves are more refined than the common brutes. Not that we know what nerves are yet, but I'm sure we have them and they're better than yours. And they smell like roses and yours are made of poopy and bad things, you stupid... Not that I even know what poop is, because I have a groom of the stool. I need a groom of the stool and pinch me in the theater grades ago. Wipe me! Wipe me! (laughs) (laughs) The cry of the aristocrat in our our fiction. (laughs) And so the mood at an execution would be ambiguous. Yes, the sentence may have been righteous and the convict deserving of punishment. And yes, order may be restored, but there'd also be feelings of revulsion, compassion, and fear. And just as the hangman could restore cosmic order, he could also mess it up if he bungled an execution. Which did happen, because chopping someone's head off is quite tricky, as we discussed in the last episode. Sometimes they run away from you, and it's just the whole way through. (laughs) If the punishment exceeded the crime, and the required punishment, because, you know, you took seven whacks to chop someone's head off while they screamed the whole time, the crowd would often attack the executioner, who might be lynched himself or stoned to death. This is the most stressful sounding job ever. (laughs) Because you're like, don't miss... Don't miss. Thump, 
Oh, oh, fuck. Oh, I miss. Fuck. I mean, I mentioned in the last episode that one noble who, having been whacked and not killed, stood up again and shook his head at the executioner. Just like, like, come on, this is your literal job. <laughs> a bungled execution could indicate that God doesn't approve of the execution, in which case the hangman becomes the scapegoat for the crowd whose emotions are already heightened. Also, on a lesser scale than being, you know, stoned to death, the executioner might be punished by the authorities if they did a bad job by not being paid or banished or fined and so on. Oh shit! I love the scale of like not being paid, banished until he can find the avatar. <laughs> banished until he can find the artery. I've been watching BBC's Dracula, so my next segment is titled "The Blood Is the Life." <laughs> There was a strong taboo against blood. I've never wanted to fuck a nun so badly in my life is what I'm saying, so we need oh, to watch it. I need it. to watch this. I need, Yeah, we need to watch that. We should book it in time and watch it. There was a strong taboo against blood in the late medieval period, especially as it was considered to contain the essence of the self. Blood could be used in black and white magic, and if you listen to our episode on medicinal cannibalism, you can find out just how much Europeans ate each other. <laughs> and the role that the executioner could play as a provider of flesh, fat, and bone. Barber surgeons, butchers, executioners, all were tainted by their association with blood. And in addition to the blood that you know just sprayed when you whacked the neck, executioners would also have to remove rotting corpses from the... The gibbet? The gibbet? Gibbets. I've never known. Gibbets. Yeah. That's the satisfying one. So they'd have to remove rotting corpses from the gibbets. And restore parts of the body or the whole body to families Ugh. so they were constantly surrounded with the figurative and literal stench of death and rot contaminating and polluting their bodies and oh, souls God. and it wasn't just any bodies just as people tried to touch the remains of saints to benefit from their magical properties, touching the bodies of criminals might have a darker effect. Mm. It was certainly thought strange that executioners could burn witches with impunity. If you're a witch tied to the stake, surely you'd smite the executioner or turn them into a newt. Mm. And yet, here stands the executioner, significantly unnewt like mm. Must be because the executioner is a kind of witch himself, and not because nobody's a witch, because then that would mean that we've been burning innocent people to death, and I'm not freaking no, out. Surely freaking not. Out. No, it's fine. Wherever it is. No, it's the other thing. It's the other one. So, how to dress your hangman. Remember that in the late medieval period, clothing was still subject to strict sumptuary laws. The rich didn't want peasants blurring class boundaries by wearing pointy shoes, fur, or the color purple. If everyone's special, no one is. <laughs> Thanks, Syndrome. To the medieval mind, if the public executioner was a representation of religious pollution and the violation of cosmic law, you might as well have them commit a few fashion don'ts as well. <laughs> the clothing of the hangman was under the strict control of the community's authorities, and they decided that polychromy more than one color per article of clothing was the rule for hangman. Hmm. So you get two types of polychromy when it comes to hangman couture. <laughs> and I'm going to say this in French and I'm going to do my best. Le ray, so like stripes, basically, and le parti, which seems to be one half of the garment is one color and the other half is another. Yeah. Le ray, 
The striped clothing had always been the clothing of servants once they started to wear the heraldic colors of their lords because you've got to be a walking advertisement. <laughs> the elites had not yet discovered the slimming power of stripes, apparently, <laughs> so... Well, they didn't need to be slimming. They needed to look uh, corpulent and glorious. They're Henry VIII, God damn yes. it, and whatever body I have is a sexy one. <laughs> Now wipe me! Wipe me! So there were a lot of laws about who could wear stripes, as I guess there are now. <laughs> Especially as it became more and more reserved for infamous professions. So the people who wore stripes were mostly jesters, butchers, jugglers, sex workers, and milliners. I've not yet come to understand why milliners were so reviled, but cool. I see. The clergy were absolutely forbidden, and in medieval art, Lucifer himself is often depicted sporting stripes. Oh, I love that. There's a stripey lad just wandering about. That's cool. Satan going, do, do these trousers make my butt look big? <laughs> well, yes, me lord, because they're horizontal stripes. So. <laughs> it doesn't fit your figure, me lord. She try vertical ones. It'll elongate your silhouette. It will. No, me lord. It makes you look thick, me lord. <laughs> dummy thick. <laughs> Satan is dummy thick. <laughs> The biblical book of Leviticus forbids wearing garments woven of two types of yarn because the Bible is very logical. Yes. And this was sometimes taken to refer to colors as well as polyblends. In general, stripes meant deviancy or worse, diversity. <gasps> Shit. The colors would also contrast a lot, indicating deviancy and disrepute. So white and pink, orange and purple, yellow and green. Yellow and green in particular seems to be considered by medieval people to be a violent and ill-favored contrast. Well, they're not wrong. I'm just saying as a 12-year-old, I used to wear neon green jeans that I was very proud of and a yellow flowery shirt. So they would have lynched me on the spot. Well, I mean, that was the 90s. Everyone was wearing neon and poppers. <laughs> and taking poppers. <laughs> a darker time, but also a brighter time. That's right. <laughs> so because most people, and by most people I mean peasants, wore dull muted colours, the hangman would stand out in his own neon clothing, which would further marginalise him. See, I love that, because we normally we think of the hangman as like wearing like this dark hood or skulking around mm. wearing like robes or something but i like that he's like fucking decked out in colorful motley like a goddamn jester <laughs> <laughs> literally hurting the eyes yeah. bright colors were also markers of high status but it's not like the wealthy blended in with the common mob to get sprayed with arterial blood at a beheading mm -hmm. So you wouldn't have them to compare to the hangman. The quality of the clothing would also set the wealthy apart from the executioner. Their colors would be jewel-toned and not striped, and the color would be... It would have a brightness that wouldn't fade, unlike the commonly dyed clothes. So it would be beautiful brightness, whereas the hangman is like, oh, we need to get to the 2000s and fast. <laughs> like puke green kind of stuff. <laughs> yes. And what I found interesting, and this was a rabbit hole that I fell down, medieval cultures were obsessed with color. Everything was colored. Fabric, bone, wood, metal. Do you have it? We're going to dye it. Hmm. To some, color represented God's creative power on earth. All things bright God and beautiful. beautiful. All people. <laughs> Arterial blood. Mm. <laughs> And people were dressing colors to represent their status, their political affiliation, their fucking moods. Or color was evil, and its beautiful brightness was Satan's way of distracting you from your prayers, Mildred. 
Oh, poor people. So confused. As a side note, the medieval period is really a good way of demonstrating how things that we take as objective truth can vary across centuries. Blue was considered a warm color, and the opposite of black wasn't white, but red. Huh. That's interesting. So the meanings of color depended on the context, and on a hangman, red could indicate authority and justice, or it could indicate violence and bloodshed. Yellow could mean bile, deception, transgression, and impurity. It was a color associated with servants, criminals, and Jews. Okay. <laughs> In general, unless it was good yellow, such as gold, yellow was a very unpopular color, which is why hangmen used to wear it so much. Whereas green could refer to bad death and madness, as well as chaos and greed. Green sleeves! <laughs> yes. Madness, bad death, chaos. <laughs> color combinations were also significant, so when you pair yellow with red, it activates all the negative qualities of red. And yellow and red is primarily what you address your social undesirables in, so again, hangman. Yellow and green are similar, and the colors most commonly worn by jesters, and associated with dragons, heathens, and Judas the Betrayer. Ooh, interesting. And so on. Context is everything, especially when looking at depictions of hangmen in medieval art. As to the cut of the garments, tight-fitting or scanty clothing indicated <sighs> a low status. And in art, hangmen are shown wearing robes that expose their knees, or even their buttocks. Ooh, Dummy thick. quite sexy. How do you get all that junk? <laughs> their jackets are cropped and close-fitting on them. So again, the, the idea of the long robe is very incorrect. Mm. Fashion is awful forever, yeah. but it's also quite practical, because executions had to deal with a lot of blood and flame, so you might not want to wear a trailing robe. Makes sense. I have, I'm gonna, I've got like a Slytherin uh, dressing gown that has wizard sleeves and it's fucking impossible mm. to do anything. So when I'm trying to like do anything like cook, it's like how the fuck do wizards have these sleeves because it just gets everywhere and I've nearly set myself alight so many times. So yeah, wizards wearing robes is stupid. Fact check yourself, J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Honestly. Oh my god, she's super cancelled. And as I mentioned earlier, hangmen were also required to do other jobs that no one else wanted to do. Like cleaning the streets, disposing of animal carcasses, emptying cesspits. So their shorter clothing may have suited the requirements of the role, even if you could watch their butt cheeks jiggle a bit. <laughs> I don't think it went that short. I think that in real in real life, it probably went around their knees. But artists, they fantasized a bit is what I'm saying. As for accessories, this varied wildly in real life. But in art, hangmen are often depicted wearing a hood because it indicates low status, bestiality, oh. and madness. Oh, okay. Although... It later became associated with funerals and was depicted more positively on monks. Hmm. But for the most part, it is the, the cap of the villain. The hood with the eye holes that, ex that obscured the face completely belongs to Italy, where fraternities of executioners would protect their identities in this way. I was going to say, why don't all like executioners have a mask? That, that's what I thought it was for, to protect their identities, so that they wouldn't be reviled and hated. It was so hard to get any executioners at all. I'm not going to remember the exact numbers because I didn't write them down and I don't have a good memory. But I think in Flanders, it was something like three executioners to a population of 75,000. Oh, wow. I probably made up 
the location and the number. But what I'm saying is it was very difficult to find executioners. And so when you had them, everybody knew who it was. Right, so yeah. why disguise them with a mask? So just to close off, I'll add that it may not be surprising that there was such a lot of ambivalence or hostility towards public executioners. It was a comparatively new role because previously people in Western Europe had had to sort out their own disputes either through reconciliation or by taking vengeance. Vengeance all the way. <laughs> but as feudalism replaced the old ways of living, and more and more actions became classified as crimes, with corporal and capital punishments, the executioner became necessary as the enforcer of the state's judicial system. Suddenly, some forms of violence were bad, and other forms of violence were necessary, and the hangman had to hang, stand, with a foot on either side of that line. <laughs> Sometimes state violence is bad violence, as we can see in America right now. Mm -hmm. And Christ himself had his own executioner, so the executioner isn't always the good cop, I guess. At the same time, much like the demons in hell that tortured sinners for eternity, maintaining divine law, the executioner was a necessary evil, he fulfilled pretty much the same role on the earthly plane as the demons did in hell. That might explain why executioners were portrayed as demons, and vice versa. Mm. So they weren't completely unacceptable people, like a witch who must be burned, but it didn't mean that people needed to like them. Makes sense. So I hope, I hope I've talked you into this thrilling profession, Jess. <laughs> Well, I don't like the that I'm going to have to wear yellow and green because they're not my colors. And I don't like the everyone hating me thing, but everyone hates me anyway. So, <laughs> hmm. And flattering on the butt cheeks. I, I, do, I do have a slamming ass, though. So I mean, maybe that's a good thing. That on your CV. <laughs> I just think it's so funny that we always do this in society where it's like, we need this thing. Or we hate you for doing it. <laughs> Why? <laughs> do we want to do it? No. No. But it needs to get done. Yeah. So are you going to do it? No. Get someone else to do it. Do you want me to do it? No. no I hate you. Yeah, we are a complicated species. Oh, and speaking of complicated species, I suppose some things are nice sometimes. Mm-hmm. I hope that you've had time to think of something marvelous that has happened to you i have it's a lot of people have been supporting me lately it just i've had a difficult time it's just been the cry of this year but it just seems like worse and worse things are happening not just to the world but to me personally as well and in this of getting a lot of support from people and it's just been really nice just how kind people can be when things go wrong. Like someone sent hmm. me a stuffed owl teddy for no oh. reason, which is really, really nice. <laughs> and then I was like, I need some video games to distract myself. And then um, someone sent a couple to me. And I'm not just talking about gifts either, because I it just sounds very materialistic. Like people are sending me loads of gifts because it's having a hard time, but people are just generally really, really kind at the moment. And that is really nice. Just like as things are so nice. hard for everyone at the moment, but still people are finding the energy to take care of someone who needs a little extra help right now. <sighs> Hopefully some things get even nicer sometimes. Yeah. But... It's nice to know that you have friends who love you. Yeah. That was a very heartwarming statement. Yeah. It's going to be a long road, but wherever we end up at the end is probably going to be a better place. And until then, 
I can handle anything that comes my way. Mm-hmm. I am in love with life. I am a cosmic being of infinite power. <laughs> the YouTube channel is going to be filled with yoga soon. Okay, it's going to be great. Hashtag bendy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the things that will come up on that hashtag. It's fucking bendy in the ink machine. I'm here for it. Let's mix the two. <laughs> Hurry yoga. Here we come. Yay. <laughs> 